Ephesians as we continue in our Armor of God series. Um, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, walking through uh, what does it mean for us to be equipped with the armor of God? Well, uh, we all probably know someone in our lives, or maybe ourselves, and if that person that you know, or it is yourself in this room, maybe don't point them out when I say this. Um, you know, it could get a little awkward. But, but they are described as folks who are brutally honest. Everyone? <laughs> I was waiting for it. I knew it was going to happen. That's why I was waiting. That's why I said don't call them out. Because I figured it was going to happen. <laughs> it is what it is. Brutally honest. We're going to have Jim speak the rest of this. Uh, <laughs> no. Brutally honest, though, is kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? Honesty is a good thing. But brutal honesty feels like you're putting these things together that don't seem to fit. What does it mean to be brutally honest. Well, it could mean using the truth in a mean way, like that you're just mean. Jim, I don't think that's, that's you. That's not you. That's not you. Not really biblical truth, but like just mean in that. More often, it means telling the truth when it's culturally appropriate or expected to lie. More often, that's what brutally honest means, is that, is that there's a situation in which it's culturally expected that you will not tell the truth, but you tell the truth anyway. This happens literally every day, right, to all of us, when we talk to someone and they say, how are you? And you say, good, even when that's not true. This literally happened to me on Friday at Presbytery. I saw someone I know and I haven't seen in a while, and they said, how are you? And I said, good. He said, and he looked at me, and I was like, okay, that's not true. I'm actually not all that good, so let me, let me tell you a little bit about that. But then I was immediately struck with, like, I had already written this intro, and it was like, yeah, I'm going to have to confess that. It's these little lies every day that we do. Or another situation when someone asks, what do you think of this? And it's culturally appropriate and expected that you would lie and be like, that's really great even when it's garbage, right? Like, but if you're brutally honest, you might say, that's garbage. We lie instead of giving our honest opinion. Now, these are about little things, kind of silly things, but what about when that translates into bigger things in our lives? Why do we do this? Why are we afraid to tell the truth in these moments? I think, honestly, part of it is that we are f afraid of being exposed. We're afraid of being honest with who we are because we're afraid of being truly known. And when we're truly and fully known and vulnerable, we're afraid of being rejected. Our fear of this leads us to shade the truth. But if we're honest with ourselves, does that work? Do, do lies really protect us? We don't want to be exposed, but hiding from the truth, does that help us feel accepted? No. It's a lie itself, promising that lies will insulate and protect you and keep you safe and known and loved. What we need is the strength of God to put on the belt of truth. 
It's what we've been talking about in this. We opened this series last week with the armor of God, and we're going to walk through each of these pieces one at a time to try and figure out what is it that Paul is equipping us with. What is Paul saying that we need to be equipped with by the power of God to stand firm in our battle against Satan and all spiritual forces. If you missed last week, I gave kind of an overview of what does it mean for us to be in a spiritual battle. I encourage you to check that out so that you know kind of as we walk through, we're going to be hitting on those same themes throughout. That this is not a battle, an earthly battle. We're not battling against people. We're battling against Satan and demonic forces at work in the world today. So let's read Ephesians 6 We're going to start at 10 and read through 14. We're going to continue each week just kind of reading the whole thing and building on it. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. We'll look at the body armor of God's righteousness after, uh, or next week when we cons- uh, consider that. But this text, right, remember the context of this is our spiritual warfare against Satan and spiritual forces of evil. So what we need to do is understand Satan's strategies for lies and then figure out what does that mean for us in the world today? How do we respond to the things happening in the world today? Now to understand this, when when Paul speaks of the belt of truth, remember he's speaking of a Last week we had a bird, now we got sirens. I could blame Satan, but as I said last week, it's not everything. We don't just blame everything on Satan. All right. The reality is, right, that we, we need to understand what does it mean in the context of uh, a equipping of a Roman soldier? What does the belt mean, Right? Like, are we talking about a belt like we wear or a a different kind of thing? And really, this belt, we're pretty sure, is uh, a a pretty standard belt that was worn by a Roman soldier that was uh, both a little bit of protection, right? Because it helped them to, uh, uh, like, carry their sword and all of these things. But it was also used to identify a Roman soldier. It had some uh, sort of fancy pieces added to it. So that when Roman soldiers wore this, you knew you were looking at a Roman soldier because of the belt that they were wearing. It was also something that you could take your tunic that you were wearing and kind of stuff it up in so that you could run, right? Like, you know, because you can't run in a tunic very well, right? So you got to, you know, you got to gird it up. That's what, that's what that phrase means, right? You got to gird up your, uh, your tunic so that you can be able to move and run. So it was an identifier for Roman soldiers, and it was something that would help equip them for greater battle, all right? So both of those things we need to take into uh, account. And there are really two paths that we can take when it comes to the truth. We can gird ourselves with lies, we can wrap ourselves up with lies, or we can gird ourselves with the truth. 
And the path on both of these is the same. First, we receive either the lie or truth. Then we believe it. Then we begin to tell it. And then we ultimately live it. And so we're going to look at what does it mean for us to receive, believe, tell, and live lies. And then what does it look like to receive, believe, tell, and live truths. Because every lie that is told, you can trace it first to a lie that was received. And every truth that is told, you can trace to a truth that was received. It rises up out of somewhere. So to be girded with lies means that we would receive lies first. Now, there are lies all over the place. There are lies all over the world today. And I want to look at maybe a few categories of lies that exist that we need to be aware of and to be concerned about. Maybe the biggest level of them would be worldview or cultural lies. These are like really big picture things in which ways in which the world and Satan and spiritual forces and our own sinful nature have distorted the meaning of life distorted what it means to be human, distorted uh, what it means to worship God, that there are false, there are very real false gods and idols in the world today that are lies. There are false ways of living, false ways of salvation, of what it means to be human, understandings, false understandings of identity, of self, of the world, of sexuality, of how to understand ethical concerns in life. There's all sorts of lies that exist in the world today. And we live in a culture that is very much like the first century in that there are a ton of different things competing for the church's attention. We live in a pluralistic culture in which there are, it is, and and it's Good in the sense that we live in a pluralistic culture that isn't uh, necessarily, in our context, uh, violent towards uh, different understandings of the world, always, um, as it was much more so in the first century. But because we live in this pluralistic culture, that means everyone is competing for your mind. And there are lies that exist. There are false narratives of the past. These are big cultural lies that exist, making the past look better than it really was when it comes to things like oppression or race or how we treat people. There are all of these sort of big picture lies that can happen, and we can receive these types of lies, bringing them in without questioning the prevailing cultural narrative or wisdom. Now, when I, when I talk about this, what I don't mean, and, and we'll get to what it means to be girded with truth, what I don't mean is like, hey, shut out any conversation around any differences of worldview or cultural understanding of things. That certainly is not what I mean. We need to be girded with the truth to actually engage in conversations. And if we believe that the Bible is real and true, it can stand up to scrutiny. You don't need to defend it. It'll defend itself. It, it can stand up to even your doubts and scrutiny. So it's good to ask questions. It's good to investigate. It's good to be a part of those things. Standing firm against lies does not mean running away. It means standing firm as lies come. But you need to know the truth in order to know these lies. So those are sort of the big picture cultural lies. Then there's institutional lies. This is ways in which institutions, whether that's a company, a government, a school, or even a church, 
lies about things that may have taken place or ways that people have treated others in the present or the past that lie about those things in order to protect institutions. The church is an institution that is not above this kind of thing. It's not immune to this kind of thinking. But we are not above the truth. The truth is incredibly important. These types of lies are actually really easy to receive without questioning the narrative of an institution that you may trust or seeking the truth. If we are to be people who are girded with the truth, we have to question institutional lies. We have to be aware that that can happen. Not just fallen people, but fallen people running fallen systems will break things and will lie about them to try and cover them up. And so that exists. There are also family lies that exist. The story of your family, the things maybe that your family refuses to talk about or pretends that never happened, that relative that you kind of pretend doesn't exist, that sin struggle that was known, those dark and difficult places that we don't want to go. Sometimes we can receive that lie as something that we just receive as normal and we don't question and we receive that as the pathway forward. And so we don't seek the truth. And then there are personal lies. Now, personal lies that we receive, I'm not yet talking about telling lies. I'm talking about receiving lies. And this is the things that Satan and the world try to convince you about yourself. That you're not worthy of love. That you're not worthy of acceptance. That you, in fact, can't grow or change or repent. You can't get over that addiction. You're not loved by God. You're not loved by others. You're not enough of this or that or you're too much of this or that. These lies are going to come. And receiving them is when we give them space in our heads, let them speak loudly to us. We give them space. We allow those lies to continue to fester in our brains. Where do these lies come from? Well, ultimately, all of these lies come from Satan. John 8, 44 through 45 says this, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always, has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. All lies spring from Satan. How do we tell the difference though, right? 2 Corinthians, Paul Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. He's speaking of those who were going around teaching and and they were uh, uh, causing trouble for Paul and they were claiming to be apostles. And he says that these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But here's the part that I want to key in on. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. This is really important 
Because particularly when it comes to the personal lies that we receive, there are many times that you will remember something in Scripture and think maybe that's conviction from the Holy Spirit, but it might actually be a lie of Satan because Satan's using it to accuse you. A good friend of mine has been helping me recently think about these things in my own life. And one of the things that he has said consistently to me is, is that the voice of Jesus? Because sometimes we can say, is that true? And it might sound true, like God is righteous. But sometimes it comes across in this angry, condemning tone that does not sound like the voice of Jesus to his people. And so, what, how are we going to be How are we going to determine whether or not Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light, how do we know when he's speaking or when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? We're going to get there as we go forward, but I I want us to keep that in mind as we continue. Because what we do then is, after receiving lies, we then move on to believing lies. We not only receive the the lie as though it were true, we begin to believe that lie. We begin to let the lie travel from our head to our hearts. Believing these lies, any of them, is beginning to repeat them ourselves. We begin to tell them to ourselves in our head. When you begin to believe a lie, it's when it moves from something that you heard yourself, you heard in your head, right? This idea, I'm not worthy enough. When you begin to repeat that to yourself, you've begun to believe a lie. You're made in God's image. You not being worthy of love is a lie from the pit of hell. And that's where it belongs. And so when we begin to repeat lies like that, or begin to repeat family lies that have been told or institutional lies that have been told or cultural lies that we've begun to believe, it begins to seep down into our heart. We begin to believe these lies and it begins to shape who we are. The next step of that is not only believing lies, but then telling lies. That's when we take what we have begun to tell ourselves and we begin to tell others. We begin to repeat them not only to ourselves, but to other people. We begin to tell these lies. It begins to begin to shape who we are. And some of those personal lies of our unworthiness or other things that we believe, it shapes ourselves in, in lying about other things, right? Because we're trying to protect this thing that we think is true, that we're unworthy. And if someone just knew who I was, they would reject me. And so I begin to tell other lies. I begin to hide other things because I'm afraid that this lie is going to get exposed. That this thing about me is going to be exposed. Ultimately, then, it leads to living lies. We allow it to define our lives. Our actions, our decisions are shaped by lies. You can see this pattern in people's lives and in our own lives. A little lie about the way the world works that's fundamentally untrue begins to shape the decisions I would make about the rest of my life. All based on this one lie. A little lie about your unworthiness 
and then you are actively sinning against God because your heart is bitter to him because you think he hates you. Right? You begin to not care about God's commands because you think you're already unworthy. He already hates you. I might as well keep sinning in this way. All because you've believed a lie about your unworthiness. This, these lies can seep deep within us and we begin to live them out. So how do we fight it? How do we fight against this? Well, Paul says that our posture is to stand firm. Stand firm. That means we can't go out and change every lie. We can't go out and change every lie in the world. They are going to come at us. The world, Paul has already said in this letter, is under the power of Satan. Ephesians 2.2. Paul says this, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Satan's at work in the world. Paul has already said that. He's already told us that. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't tell the truth. We're going to get there. It doesn't mean that we don't challenge lies that exist in the world, but we need to be realistic as well that we're not, we're not charged with going and correcting every person in the world and the lies that exist. Paul is first saying, you need to stand firm against all of those strategies that will come against you. Until Jesus returns, there will be lies out there to tempt us and seek to influence us. And we need to stand firm and be girded in the truth. So to be girded in the truth, we need to start by receiving truth. So I want to distinguish two things for us. I want to distinguish between what it means to receive the truth and to receive truth. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, Not touch it. All right, there we go. I think we're good. All right. So what does it mean to receive the truth? Well, John 8, 32 says this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is Jesus speaking to his people. Jesus follows that up in John 14, 6 by saying, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The scriptures teach us that Jesus is the center of all wisdom and truth. He is the hidden treasure of all of God's wisdom. He is the embodiment of all of that. And so if you are seeking truth, Jesus is who you're seeking. The way to be girded against lies is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Against the worldview and cultural lives, the word of God is going to speak. We have a speaking and loving God who came in the flesh in Jesus and rose from the dead. That is a truth that you ought to investigate if you doubt it. There is good reasons to believe it. There's good things to dig into, to to think about those things. But in order to understand how do we be girded in truth, we have to be girded first in the truth, in Jesus. Receiving him, repenting of our sin and trusting in him. And then God tells us that he gives us his spirit to live within us and that we can ask whenever we have need of wisdom, we can ask him. We have the unsearchable riches of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit present at all times with us. 
Now, that's true. And to be girded in the truth, you need that. So if you're here this morning and you are not trusting in Jesus, but you are constantly plagued by believing lies about yourself or about others, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The truth will set you free. Now, that is true. But in order to receive other truths, that doesn't mean that we are then free from all error. Like we can actually still believe lies. We can still make mistakes. And we don't instantly gain all knowledge on all subjects of all time. Contrary to how some Christians speak about things, right? <laughs> Sometimes you think, oh, oh, you received Jesus, so you know everything about everything. Yeah, that's, that's not how that works, guys. It's not how that works. So we're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit of that as we go. But this is the big thing that in order to fight against any lies, you've got to know Jesus. Against institutional lies, Jesus will build his church. We don't have to defend her. We can be honest about its, our flaws. He will. And all other institutions are less important than the church, and no institution is more important than people. And the truth sets us free. So we can trust the faithfulness of God. Against family lies, Jesus has welcomed you into a new family, the family of God, in which you can be honest about your past, your story, your life, and then seek the truth. And against the personal lies of Satan, he accuses always. But Jesus sets us free. Zechariah 3, 1 through 5, one of my favorite passages. Then the angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. You say Satan brought accusations that maybe were true. Joshua is standing there in filthy clothes before the Lord. He's bringing accusations that might be true, and yet these accusations are lies for him to believe because Jesus has already cleansed him. Jesus has already cleansed him of his sin, and the Lord rebukes Satan and says, your accusations do not stand here. You can accuse this man of being a sinner, but that accusation falls because I have cleansed him from his sin. Satan may accuse you. You may hear accusations where he brings up your past, your present, your flaws, your sins, and says, see, God doesn't love you. You see that bad thing that happened to you yesterday? It's because God hates you because of what you did. 
Look at how filthy you are. The truth, brothers and sisters, is if you are in Jesus, those accusations cannot land on you. You have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Those accusations fall away. You do not need to receive or believe those lies that that means that God doesn't love you because Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead to prove that God loves you. And he has said to you, through his spirit coming to live in you, you are my child, I love you. Cry out, Abba, Father, to me. We can fight against these lies because of Jesus' work on the cross. So in order to be girded in the truth, particularly in these things, we need the blood of Jesus. And then in order to stand firm, to step forward into any other area of life, we need to know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves us. We will have courage to step forward and tell the truth in other places because we know that God loves us and what can man do to us. So if we receive that big truth, right, we can then evaluate other lies to see if they are true, right? We can actually evaluate these things. Now, how we do that? Well, first, we need to know the source of what, whatever thing, whether that's a cultural thing that is being said, a worldview thing, or an institutional thing, or, or a personal thing, somebody, somebody is telling you this thing, or a family lie, any of these lies, we need to know the source of where it's coming from. Where's this coming from? How do we evaluate a, a truth claim without knowing its source? Is there reason to believe that there's bias in this source? How do we, how do we start to ask those questions and think critically? God gave you a brain. And when he redeemed you by the blood of Jesus, he didn't take your brain out of your head, right? He intended you to be redeemed, to continue to use it, right? So we should think critically. We should wrestle with things. We should ask questions. We should think deeply on these things and have conversations. And then we should also be humble because we can also be deceived, right? We need to be humble. Yes, we know the God of the universe. Yes, we have access to all the riches and unsearchable wisdom of God. We can speak to him. Yes, all that's true. But you know what? He has never granted any person made in God's image infinite knowledge. So don't act like you have infinite knowledge. The way in which we can interact with the lies of this world is not to show up and be like, yeah, well, Jesus rose from the dead, so you gotta listen to me. Like, that doesn't do anything in actually fighting cultural lies. That doesn't help, <laughs> right? We got to actually engage in very real conversation not be, and be humble because we can also be deceived. Now, the best way to fight against that is to be in community. Actually, the Proverbs would teach us wisdom is found in community, not in an individual. And so we need to be in each other's lives to know where we are missing things. Where we are missing things from one another. Where our blind spots are. We got to be known and in community together in order to know those things. Now, it's not just enough to receive truth. We have to actually believe truth. Which means 
We have to transfer head knowledge to heart knowledge. This is true of our relationship with God and spiritual things and also things in the world. We have to translate things from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, a gut level knowledge of like, I believe this. I stake my life on this. We are going to pursue this because it's true. From receiving and then believing, we then tell the truth. How do we tell the truth? Well, first, Paul's already told us, right? In Ephesians chapter five, uh, 4, verse 25, he says this, So stop telling lies. There you go. Simple as that. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Being in community together, we have to stop telling lies to each other. We need to be a little bit more unbrutally, brutally honest. Be brutally honest with great kindness to one another. Seeing our blind spots and actually talking about them. It is not love to lie to your neighbor when you know your neighbor is sinning and harming themselves and just to be like, hey, that's okay. That's not love. Paul's like, no, stop telling lies to each other. It's also not love to hide yourself, right? And not speak the truth about yourself. We need to, we have blind spots and we need to let other people speak into them. Then we need to be transparent about ourselves with safe people. There's a reality that you can be over transparent with too many people, right? That's, that's dangerous. Paul does not say, stop telling lies, tell everyone your deepest, darkest sins, right? Like that's not what he says. That's not the follow-up there, right? In community and in wisdom, we can care for each other. Not all people are equally safe. Not all Christians are equally safe. So it's important to find safe people that you trust who love you in order to be transparent with about your life. And when it comes to these bigger issues, uh, cultural or historical things or institutional things or family things, we just need to be honest. We can tell the good and the bad together. We don't need to allow for us to shade things, we can just tell the truth. Accuracy with the good and the bad is important. That means here in this place, this institution, don't protect City Hope by lying about City Hope. That does no good. City Hope is not, as an institution, is not more important than the people sitting right here. You are City Hope. So let's tell the truth about those things. Let's tell the truth about those experiences. We've said this over and over again. As we try to be a multi-ethnic family, we try and be a diverse people, people of color, if you're harmed here, tell us. We want to repent and grow and change. Please tell us. Be honest. We can't be, we can't pursue these things together if we're not honest. We want to be diverse in all areas. So those uh, of different economic, uh, socioeconomic statuses, tell us when you feel left out and hurt. Like we need to hear those things. We need to be told the truth because we want to pursue Jesus. This isn't about the glory of City Hope. It's not about the glory of me. If I hurt you, tell me, 
Tell the elders. If I'm not safe to tell, tell the elders. Tell someone. Like we need to be open and honest because Jesus is king, not us. This is about Jesus and about caring for his people. So we want to tell the truth. Personally, we want to tell the truth. This is the defense. Uh, It's interesting, right? When it comes to telling the truth, that Paul calls this a belt of truth, which is a defensive weapon that identifies you, not the club of truth, to beat my opponents. Not something that I use for personal gain or without the law of love. Truth apart from love and grace is not biblical truth. We need to tell the truth in grace and love. And we need to stand firm in these things. Finally, we need to live the truth. We live the truth by conforming our life to Jesus. Living a life that reflects the truth that I tell, the truth that I believe, and the truth that I receive. Right? We need to be authentic. It's hard sometimes to believe uh, sometimes that Christians are girded with the truth when we see them so often living inconsistently with God's word. Denying reality, covering up the truth, hiding under lies, or denying the things that the word of God is so clear on. Right? So we need to live that truth. So, for instance, just, a, just one example of this, right? We say that we believe the Bible and we love the Bible and we are going to hold to that. We believe God's word is inerrant. Well, the Bible constantly talks about Jesus' love for the poor and the vulnerable. If nothing in my life reflects that, that Jesus loves the poor and the vulnerable, I'm not living authentically that I believe that Jesus loves the poor and the vulnerable, right? I've got to live that. It does no good to say it. We've got to live it, right? We've got to reflect those truths. We need to allow all of our decisions in life to be affected by the truth of Jesus and what he says about myself, about the world. We need to live in light of those things, now, that sounds dangerous. Living a life girded with the truth comes with risk, for sure. Like a Roman soldier, always girded with his belt, always visible and known. That's risky. What if I don't like the Roman soldiers and he's off by himself and he's girded with the truth, or he's girded with this Roman belt and I don't like him? He's identifying himself. Friends, we are identifying ourselves as Christians who are girded with the truth. There's risk in that for sure. You could get hurt. You could get burned. You could lose. But remember, losing my life, dying to myself, dying to protecting my reputation, but gaining Christ, is worth it because we gain Jesus. Because in the light and in the truth, Jesus sees all of you and accepts you. He sees all of you and he says, I rebuke you, Satan. I love this one. I accept this one. I love you. I want you near. So let us, in light of Jesus' love for us, Love the way, the truth, and the life and come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit 
and gird our lives with truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now because we need you. We are unable.